Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Good to see you all. You know, it's weird now because it was easier to just pretend like it was Sunday before there are people in the room. So now, good evening. Hello to everybody in this room. Good morning. Hello to all of you who are having Sunday. My name is Tim Harris. I am still the most blessed man ever to be alive as pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church. These are hard days, but good days. And uh, I love all of you so much. So this is the way it's going to be probably for some time. We're going to have people in this room and, and probably more people online. And that's gradually going to switch. That's going to change. Most of you will be coming on back here at some point. I want you to be comfortable. I want you to do that in your own time. Some of you need to keep staying home, and we want you to. Others feel good and feel safe. They'll come out to church, wear a mask. And, uh, and worship the Lord together. We're just still one body, one church, right? And so we can handle this. We can do this. Now, here's good news for those of you having Sunday. Tonight, 6 o'clock p.m., we're going to worship on the lawn outside, church outside tonight, Sunday night, 6 o'clock p.m. After 6 o'clock, the front yard just goes all into shade, and it's awesome. It's probably still going to be hot, but not so hot. Bring your own chair. Bring your own water bottle. Bring snacks. Uh, bring a blanket. Bring, bring whatever you need. We're going to spread out. Everybody's going to keep the faith and keep the distance, and we're going to have church. We've got plenty of room to keep spreading out, so we don't have to limit the number. We don't have to worry as much about guidelines, although we will do everything necessary to take care of everybody and to take necessary precautions. So that's tonight, Sunday night, 6 o'clock p.m., worship outside in the lawn. That's going to be fun. That's going to be awesome. Some of you can probably even find a way to stay in your car and worship with us. So if you're nervous, uh, again, feel free to stay home. But if you uh, want to come out, I I think we can do it safely tonight at 6 o'clock p.m. That's going to be awesome. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I am starting a new sermon series. Actually, if you're doing 10 with Tim with me on Facebook Live, Monday through Friday, then you're already with me in the book of 1 Corinthians. I'm going to pick up now on Sunday mornings and walk through 1 Corinthians together in a sermon series entitled Letter to the Corinthians. So if you've been on uh, Facebook Live with me on, on uh, weekday mornings and you know where we are, we are at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We've been in chapter 7 since Tuesday morning. And uh, we're going to be into chapter 7 all the way into tomorrow morning, so stay with me here. Uh, Paul is giving some very, very practical teaching to the church at Corinth. Now, we call it 1 Corinthians, but if you read the letter carefully, and then what we call 2 Corinthians, then you know that there are more letters than just these two. Obviously, Paul is the church planter at Corinth, and he is quite a correspondence pattern with the church at Corinth. There are a number of letters that go back and forth, and we know that by the time Paul is writing 1 Corinthians, they've already written him at least one letter because he's answering questions that they asked him in their letter. And a number of their questions have to do with sex with marriage, with divorce, with singleness, and all of these things are dealt with in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's just amazing. Some of you have probably had questions for years and years about divorce, about marriage, about separation, about what it means to be single. And Paul talks about all of these things in this amazing, dense and practical chapter. So this morning, I just want us to take some time and address one of the topics that Paul deals, deals with in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and that is the matter, or what Paul would call the gift of singleness, the gift of being single. Yeah, 
sermon's entitled, Is There Somebody for Everybody? I, I want us to start out, though, with a man that I first saw at the very, very beginning of this pandemic. This is a little uh, video meme that was on the internet right at the start, right in March. I mean, right when the lockdown began, this showed up on the internet, and I loved this guy then, and now I'm really, I'm really getting this guy now. Take a look at this. This is so awesome. Pay attention. <laughs> do it again. Do it again. Watch it again. I, I love this guy. I shouldn't love it. My wife's right here. I shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sir Jenkins, you are laughing way too much at that right there. Yeah. Oh, that's that. Am I? I can't see y'all's faces because y'all were in masks. Is that funny to y'all? Because, I mean, Jonathan, is that not really, really funny? I mean, I don't, it, it's just, yeah, Dennis, man, it's just funny. That's just funny. Something about the quarantine, something about being locked down with your wife and kids. I, I mean, you know, uh, and, and I love this guy. This was at the very beginning, very beginning of all of this. And it was funny then, but four months later, now you really get it. I mean, now you understand. Uh, that, uh, you know, if choice A is being locked in your house with your wife and kids in quarantine, then, then B's got to be better. There's got to be a, a better option. Yeah, here's the thing, though. Some of you are single. And so you've been seeing stuff like this now for four months. You've been seeing on Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram people saying either something like, oh, I can't imagine being quarantined with anybody else and they're hugged up with their wife, you know, or their husband. And, or then sometimes, you know, if this quarantine lasts any longer, I'm going to kill this woman, you know, and, and, you know, that sort of thing on Instagram or, or, or Facebook. And, and some of you have been now four months quarantined and you live by yourself. Do you guys understand that in the United States, it's almost half, it's something like 47% of the population is single. 47% of the United States population is single, and nearly one-third of the United States population lives alone. So a third of our population during this lockdown has been locked down by themselves. They're locked down in a house with, with nobody else. Now, I'm wise enough to know that some of you like it. Some people like it. Some people, I mean, I've heard people say, I've been preparing for this my whole life. I mean, they are all about social distance. They're just all about it. Some people actually love to be alone. They, they love being in their home, and uh, some people are doing fine. But some people are not doing fine. I, I suppose that this quarantine, more than perhaps any other social experiment in our lifetimes, has really tested our social lives. It's tested what it means to be married, and for some of us, it's tested what it means to be alone. Uh, so as we dig into what Paul says here, can we at least start with something that, that is probably the most obvious thing I'll ever say, although nobody ever says this out loud? But let me just say this, the sort of twin truths here. First truth, being married isn't always good. Can, can I just say that? 
being married isn't always good. Now, I'm not saying that marriage as an institution ordained by God is not beautiful and wonderful. It, it is. As an institution, marriage is a marvelous gift from God. It, it really, really is. It is not good for one of us to be alone, Genesis, Genesis says, as God creates marriage. But, but can I just also say being married isn't always good? It's not always good. And, and some folks during this lockdown have found their marriage is really, really tested. If you were struggling before March, being locked in the house with this man may not have helped much. And some of you, your marriage has really, really been on its sort of last leg. That You feel like the wheels are coming off. And so you understand what I'm saying. Being married isn't always good. At the very same time, being single isn't always bad. I mean, sometimes we make it sound like being single must be the worst thing in the world. And, and as I'm saying, it's more complex than that. And your own experience might be more unique than that. Some people are very, very happily single. Whoopi Goldberg says she tried marriage. It was not for her. Whoopi Goldberg now says that she's found out she just doesn't like having somebody else up in her house. She's happily, proudly single, as it turns out, is the Apostle Paul. Paul is absolutely, proudly, happily, contentedly single. Now, we don't know a lot about his life before his conversion to Christ. We know that he was a Pharisee. We know that he was a very accomplished Pharisee. And, and just from what we know of the Jewish history, that, that historical context, it would be really out of the ordinary for a, for a Jewish Pharisee not to be married. So if Paul never, ever was married, that would be sort of out of the ordinary, although it's not impossible that he was never married. It's possible, perhaps, that he's a widower, that his wife has died. We don't know. It's possible that his wife left him when he converted. That's possible. We just don't know. And Paul never says anything other than the fact that by the time we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, this man is so happily single, he says he wishes everybody in the world could be single. So as it turns out, in this passage, there's a lot to learn about being single and also, believe it or not, a whole lot to learn about what it means to be married. So let's read together. I'm going to do a little bit of jumping around. As I say, Paul addresses several different topics in this chapter. I'm going to try to tie some passages together. Start with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. Start with me in verse 7. I wish everyone were single just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God, one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But but if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. Now go to verse 25. Now regarding your question about the young women who are not yet married, I don't have a command from the Lord for them, but the Lord in his mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted, and I'll share it with you. Verse 26, because of the present crisis, I think it's best to remain as you are. If you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. But if you do get married, it's not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it's not a sin. However, Those who get married at this time will have troubles, and I'm trying to spare you those problems. Let me say this, dear brothers and sisters. The time that remains is very short. 
So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them, for this world as we know it will soon pass away. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who's no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and spirit. A married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. I think that's so amazing. I think it's so amazing. For one thing, just to read and understand how a Christian man thinks. I mean, a thoroughly, radically Christian point of view, this is Paul. And for that reason, he says some things in this chapter that probably are going to shock you because few of us are capable of thinking like Christ the way Paul thinks like Christ. I mean, what he says is just so simple. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. That's brilliant, and that makes so much sense. That's priority for Paul. But unfortunately, that's not necessarily priority for us. I have done a lot of weddings in my uh, ministry, 20, 24 years of ministry. I've, I've married a, uh, a trillion people. <laughs> I don't know. Um, the fun thing about weddings is always the reception. I love a good reception. Uh, but there's always an awkward moment at the reception. And Lord knows why we still do this. But there's always that moment when the DJ says, okay, all the single ladies on the floor, the bride's about to throw her bouquet. What happens? Do y'all watch? Do y'all pay attention at that moment? At that moment, who moves? All the single ladies come to the floor, and, and who moves? All the 10-year-old girls. Like little girls all go line up behind the bride because, you know, they're little girls. Ah, ah. So then the DJ has to start pulling, you know, people out of the crowd. And then people start shouting out stuff like, hey, Shirley, get out there. You're single. And then somebody will say, Aunt Martha, get out there. You're going to be an old maid. And then they start, hey, Tina, Gloria, Martha, get on out there. You want to be next. And, and all of these poor women drag themselves out to the floor and stand there like statues. When the bride throws the bouquet, most women can't even be bothered to reach for it. Some 10-year-old girl's going to get it. Can you explain that scene to me? I mean, what is that even about? What that is about would be the values of our culture. And they're not exactly the values that we find in Scripture, believe it or not. The first sort of value that you find so common in our society is that marriage must be the ideal for everybody. Everybody needs to get married. Everybody wants to get married. Why, Aunt Martha, you don't want to be an old maid. You don't want to be an old cat lady. You know, Tina, Shirley, Gloria, get out there. You want to be next. 
That whole idea, and especially in our culture for women, that women are somehow desperate, that they actually need to compete, you know, to see who's going to be next. You know, isn't that sort of humiliating for women? I mean, I'm not a woman, but, you know, am I on anything at all that makes sense? I'm assuming you all have seen episodes of The Bachelor. It's humiliating for women. I don't understand how any woman ends up on The Bachelor. Apparently, she has no father. I mean, nobody in her life to say, honey, you don't want to do that. You're worth more than that. But, but apparently not. In our culture, a lot of women and a lot of men don't feel like they're worth anything at all until they get married. We assume that marriage is just simply ideal for everybody. And so for that reason, singleness is sometimes considered odd. Aunt Martha, get on out there. You don't want to be an old maid. Well, what if Aunt Martha's happily an old maid? What if she doesn't care? What if she prefers cats to people? Why does it, you know, you know, frost so many in our culture that some people would just prefer to be single? Because I'm telling you, the scriptural point of view is not exactly the same as our cultural point of view. I mean, did you just hear what I read? Paul is completely unromantic about this. He doesn't romanticize marriage. He doesn't even over-spiritualize a lot of this. He just speaks so very, very practically. So what does he say? What exactly does Paul say about marriage and, of course, about what it means to be single? All right, let's make this perfectly clear. In the Christian life, there are two lifestyle alternatives. Two. So honestly, you don't have a lot of choices to make in this life because you've only really got two alternative lifestyles. Two. The first one would be what I would call self-controlled singleness. By self-control, I mean that gift, that ability to keep yourself sexually pure. Paul says that he wishes everybody had this gift. Paul says he wishes everybody could live this way, to live in singleness but with your sexual purity and integrity. This is a very, very viable means of Christian life. Paul encourages, as a matter of fact, I think Paul thinks this is best. To be single and to be pure, to be self-controlled. Now, Paul acknowledges not everybody's cut out for this. Some of you ain't got no self-control, and for that reason, there is option B. And that is faithfulness in marriage. Two options. I mean, that's it. Either you live in sexual purity and integrity as a single, or you live in faithfulness in marriage. That's it. That's it. There are no other alternative lifestyles for believers. That, that, that's it. That, that, that's it. So to put it plainly, if you're not married, you don't really have a sex life. You, you just don't. You live in self-control and in celibacy. But for Paul, that's considered a gift. He's not saying that, you know, you've just won the booby prize. You know, I mean, you're cursed with your singleness. No, Paul says he actually thinks being single is a gift. He sees it as a gift. But what if it's a gift you don't want? You know what I mean? Like when you were a kid and it was your birthday or Christmas and somebody gives you socks. Somebody gives you clothes. Your grandma gives you clothes, you know, a sweater vest she knitted herself. And you're thinking, thanks, grandma, you know. I mean, what if your singleness is, is, is something like that? Well, what if it seems like, feels like a gift that you really, really 
don't want. Well, well, let's talk about that. First off, marriage is not for everybody. Marriage is not for everybody. Paul says that, which means some people are literally called to singleness. It's God's will that some of us would stay unmarried. I can't imagine that that much has changed in the kingdom of God since Paul's day. And understand, both singleness and marriage are ways of life that God assigns and blesses. God assigns and God blesses both singleness and marriage. And some of us are called to be single. You're meant to be single. And again, for Paul, he sees this as a gift. It's literally a gift. I know. It may not be necessarily the gift that you were hoping for, the gift that you were praying for. But let's talk about it. What is it about this gift that for Paul makes it so attractive? What is it that he sees that you and I typically don't see? First off, if you notice in the text, Paul sees things from an eternal perspective. Paul sees everything from the perspective, from the vantage of eternity. And therefore, for Paul, everything in this life is passing away. Everything. So whether you're wed or whether you're single, that's just a temporary arrangement. When you got married, if you got married, at the altar, you said what? Till death do us part. Till death do us part. This is temporary. Now, I know after four months of quarantine, it feels like forever, but it's temporary. Marriage is temporary, and for that matter, singleness is temporary. Everything in this life is passing away. Paul says we don't have anything like enough time to worry about this stuff, because for Paul, your marital status is not the most important thing. It's not the most important thing. If you're married, even if you're married, Paul says, you really need to learn to live in such a way where your marriage isn't the most important thing. That doesn't mean it's not important. It doesn't mean you don't have to live in faithfulness. But what Paul means is there is something much, much more important, and that is your life in Christ. Christ is what matters. And when you are in Christ, you learn to see from an eternal perspective, which means everything in this world, everything in this life, it's passing away. It's temporary. It's all temporary. The other thing you have to realize is that for Paul, he sees singleness as having some actual practical advantages. I mean, advantages. For Paul, he just simply sees that a life of singleness is freedom. Freedom. Paul is a traveling church planter. He is able to go live at Corinth for a year and a half, work as a tent maker, uproot himself, go to, go to Ephesus and live and plant another church. And he's just free as a bird. You understand that? If he were married, you know, with, with, with five or six kids and a minivan, you know, and a dog that you got to, you know, somehow board every time you want to leave town, I mean, none of this would be possible. Paul's life of singleness gives him this incredible practical freedom. When you're single, you have freedom that other people don't have. This is an advantage. The other thing that I would point out is when you're single, you can actually have opposite sex friends. When you're married, it is no longer really necessarily appropriate for you to have a lot of friends of the opposite sex. You you need different kind of boundaries. I have one woman in my life. Her name is Casey. I have a lot of other women that that are acquaintances, friends, sisters in Christ, but there's a very, very strong boundary between me and them. When you're single, you can have more friends of of both sexes. I, I think that's something 
of an advantage. I mean, the other things I shouldn't have to mention, you know, you don't have to put the commode top up and down, you know, all of that sort of thing. There are, are literally practical advantages, but, but understand for Paul, it's this overarching conviction that nothing matters but Christ. And so for Paul, you don't live to satisfy and please yourself. You live to satisfy and please Christ. So that's why Paul in this whole thing can boil it down to, I just want you to do whatever it is that will help you serve the Lord with as few distractions as possible. You get married, you're going to have more problems, he says. I'd love to spare you some of those because Paul assumes, Paul just assumes that we think like he thinks. But I know y'all better. I know myself better. We don't necessarily think like Paul thinks because for us, we don't necessarily live to satisfy and please Christ. We like to satisfy and please ourselves. We, we like the idea of getting married. We like the idea of having a little house. We want to have a dog that we can't leave town because we have to board her. You know, We like that picture. For us, we just like to sort of have our life, our family. And then you know, maybe as a family we'll go to church together. But you know, we don't get carried away putting Christ first. It's not like the family's going to get in the way of our serving Christ. We'll, we'll fit Christ around the edges. We'll go to church. We'll put a fish on the back of our car. You know, we'll listen to Christian radio. That's not what Paul is talking about. You live. You live to satisfy and please Christ. Christ is your life, your entire life. As I said, I find that very convicting. I mean, we're the people of God. But for us, the idea of, you know, what will help us serve the Lord best? You know, when, when you're a young person planning out the path of your life, do you ask yourself, what would help me serve the Lord best? Or do you ask yourself, what do I want to be? You know, where am I going to find somebody to marry? It's, uh, your life is in Christ, minus two. That's why Paul says, even those who are married, they, they, they need to learn to live in such a way where pleasing their wife is not necessarily their top priority. And that sounds shocking to those of us who are husbands and wives. It's like, what? What? I'm going to tell my wife she's going to be priority number two? How's that going to go over? Well, if, if your wife is a woman of God, she's going to be right with you. Because guess what, Bubba? You're not priority number one either. Your wife, her life is to satisfy and please Christ. And this is why Paul says, man, I just wish everybody were just like me. I wish everybody were single. It's easier. It's better. Because in that case, you could serve the Lord with no distractions. Again, what if this is not the gift that you wanted? I mentioned what it is for some of you through this quarantine to look on Facebook and, and see, you know, people hugged up with their family, with their wife. And some of you are not content in your singleness, and for some of you, this sermon itself is really painful, and I'm sorry for that. I know that for some of you, the, the idea that you could be alone for a long time or even your whole life, that's just nearly unbearable. So, so listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what Paul says. Not everybody is called to lifelong singleness. 
And if, and if you can't find contentment in that, if you can't find the ability to live in sexual purity and integrity, if, if you do not find that living alone helps you serve the Lord better with fewer distractions, then maybe you're not called to singleness. So what does it mean that you're single right now? Well, I, I think it means this. I think you're single right now because that's the best way for you to serve the Lord right now. It's the best way for you to serve the Lord right now. I want you to hear this and understand this because my fear is for some of you, you think you're single because there's something wrong with you. You're afraid that you're single because you're somehow unlovable or undateable. You somehow think that nobody wants you, that nobody would ever be with you. And, and I, I, want, I want to set you free from that lie from your enemy. Do you understand me? If you're single right now, it's because that's the very best way for you to serve the Lord right now. And if you're not contented in that, then you just continue to seek the Lord and you pray that God will bring you to the, the end of your singleness in his time and his perfect way. But for now, you just serve the Lord without distractions because this is the best way for you for now. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand? It's not because there's something wrong with you. So I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, Pastor Tim, if maybe God doesn't, isn't necessarily calling me to singleness, is it okay for me to go looking for somebody? Um, I uh, pray about that. But I say, yeah. Go for it. I mean, yeah. Why not? I mean, why not? I mean, you, you, you serve the Lord. You put the Lord first, but prayerfully put yourself out there. I mean, meet somebody. Find somebody. Find, find a nice girl. Find a nice guy. I think, well, where am I, where am I going to find a nice guy? See, that's the other thing. You think you're single because there are no decent men in the world. You know, all the women are crazy out there. That's the reason you're single. All the women are crazy. <laughs> no, there's some really, really good uh, men and women out there. Can I just say something? I, I, I don't know what you're going to think. D -d don't, uh, I can't see your faces anyway, so it doesn't even matter. Um, you know, I, in the last few years, probably half or more of the couples I marry meet on dating apps. And they're always a little, you know, funny about telling me that because I, I think there's a stigma attached to that. You know, like people think that they shouldn't, you know, do the dating apps, and I'm sure some of them you shouldn't be on. I mean, I, I'm not an expert on the dating apps. I just have an impression that some of them are really, really good at, at matching people. And I'm telling you, I've done a lot of weddings for couples that met online, and these are good couples. They're very, very well matched. Sometimes couples that meet online, they, they're very careful and prayerful, and they've been matched based on compatibilities and values, and, and, and honestly... Sometimes it seems to be a pretty good way to, to, to meet somebody. I, I just want to say that out loud. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's hard to meet a person. It's, it's hard to meet people, but, but maybe that's the way. I mean, it really doesn't matter so much how you meet them. What really matters is who you end up with. You cannot relax your standards. You cannot become a different kind of person just to try to win somebody. You can't let the devil tell you that you're desperate because you're not. It's not about desperation. You're single right now because that's the best way for you to serve the Lord right now. 
So you just focus on him. You continue to serve him right now. You just trust him. But I don't think there's anything at all wrong with putting yourself out there. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to meet somebody if that's what you feel like you want to do. And uh, maybe the online thing, maybe there's nothing wrong with that. I know your grandma wouldn't have done it, but she didn't get in a tanning bed either, you know. So um, maybe it's a new day. Uh, Next. You're single for the good of others. Paul talks about this in terms of it being a gift. And so if this is a gift from the Lord, then understand, all of the gifts that that the Holy Spirit gives us in the church, they're always given to us for the common good. Always given to us for the common good. So it's not like, you know, this is a gift for you, so be real happy in your singleness. No, but you may find that in your singleness, you were better able to serve the Lord by serving others. Your life is about others. Everything in Christ is about others. And as Paul says, when you're single, you have this ability to to be without distractions. You've got this freedom. And and you may find that you have more margin in your life, more that you can share with others, more that you can give at, at church, more than you can invest in young people. I mean, your singleness is a gift that is really, really for the benefit of others. Don't forget that. You're not being cursed. Marriage is not some sort of prize for those that Jesus loves the most, and it's also not a curse for people who just can't find somebody. Understand, this is the Holy Spirit working in your life, and if you're single right now, then then that's a gift for others. Use your life, live your life for the benefit of others. This is not about you. And uh, one last thing. Your greatest need will never be a spouse. You know, we raise our sons, we raise our daughters, you know, sometimes just drumming it in them that, you know, that they're going to be wives, they're going to be husbands. And we prepare them for that. We want to prepare them for this life in a family, this life in marriage. But honestly, we need to teach our children that their greatest need is, is not to find themselves completed in and some other person. I'm telling you, if your child never finds herself completed in Christ, she will never find herself completed in a man. Your greatest need is not a spouse. It is to know Christ and be transformed by his love. You've got to know Christ. You've got to love Christ. You've got to give yourself completely to Christ. You've heard me say it over and over and over. It probably isn't very poetic, but I'm just telling you, it's the truest thing I know to tell you. If you don't find your identity, find your worth, find your contentment, your satisfaction, if you don't find those things in Christ, you'll never find them. You'll be empty. You'll always be empty. And an empty woman will only ever attract one kind of man, and that is an empty man. And an empty man will only ever attract one kind of woman. It's, it's an empty woman. Do you understand that focusing on finding a spouse, focusing on human relationships, this is never going to be the way that you find the happiness that you crave. Your greatest need is not a spouse. It never was. It never will be. Your greatest need is to know Christ and be transformed by his love. This is not the message that the world preaches. This is not what the world celebrates when at the wedding they say, all the single ladies get out on the floor, catch the bouquet, you want to be next. What if you don't? 
What if that's not even God's will for you? What if singleness for you is a gift? Then embrace it. Live your life for Christ. Serve him without distractions. Thank him for this gift. But if this gift is something that weighs heavy on your heart, then seek the Lord. Trust him. Let his love fill you up. I promise you, no matter who you are, married, unmarried, single, wed, if you do not find your satisfaction in Christ, you will not find satisfaction. Paul says, I just want you to do whatever, whatever it takes for you to serve the Lord without distraction. That is our priority. Pray with me. God, these have been difficult months. And these days, these weeks, these long, long months of isolation have tested us in every way, socially and relationally. Lord, some of us living alone have found the loneliness to be a comfort, a, a, a peace. And Lord, I thank you so much for those of us who can find ourselves blessed by our singleness, Lord. Although we are alone, Lord, I thank you that in Christ we are never, ever lonely. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your guiding presence. But that's not everybody's story. And there are some who are painfully lonely and alone. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'll just minister to those hearts today, Lord, those widows who continue, Lord, to miss that love of their life that they buried too soon. Those men who buried wives, Lord, and now continue to set an empty plate at the table every night and wish they could just talk to her. Lord, I understand the loneliness with which some people live. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will minister to those hearts. And Lord, whether we find ourselves married or unmarried, whether we find ourselves single, Lord, or in love, Lord, I just simply pray that all of us, all of us will make it our purpose in life to please you, to satisfy you, and to serve you, Lord, in whatever condition we find ourselves. Because this life and everything about it is temporary. Our singleness, our marriage, Lord, it all passes away too soon. The only thing that matters is our life in you, Jesus. So may we find our lives in you, Jesus. And may we love you with our whole heart. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen.